speaking of license plate, I was behind someone from Tennessee recently, and I'm pretty sure they use their state's shape as a hyphen. Oh, yeah, that's very common. Ohio does that, too. That's disgusting. <laughs> it, it's like, so it looks like the worst, the worst hyphen. It's terrible. It's You know what shape Tennessee is, right? It's not hyphen shaped. Oh, yeah. It's like... It, it's it looks it's like a, it's like a turd pinched out of someone's button. It's like laying between your <laughs> three sets of your two sets of numbers and letters, and it's just ugh. I just did not like it. Oh, all. that's terrible. And what was all this person right. doing with Tennessee plates doing in our state anyway? Get them out of here. I mentioned in the last episode my friend Sean in Connecticut who ran a uh, Nissan 240SX, and I thought it was with winter tires, and he wrote in. in to correct me and say, no, you moron, actually that had summer tires and I still made it work in the snow as, as silly as it might have been. But the other thing he said, which I thought was really interesting was, and I'm going to read the, read the email. One final comment that's pro- completely off topic. Not all boxer motors sound terrible. Porsche's flat, si- Porsche's flat six sounds downright amazing. So white Subaru doesn't do it well from the factory. So the while the white Subaru doesn't do it well from the factory, it can be done. And we also got in got eleven million other people write in about the fact that Porsches sound very good. Blah blah blah. As to why others aren't using them, they're expensive first cylinder count to four, two heads when an inline four is only going to use one, etc. Which I thought was really interesting, and I never thought of that the, the fact that there are actually two different heads on a boxer engine which for a four-cylinder seems a little overkill. That and they're wide and can be hard to fit in a given chassis, but they're certainly unique and have a character all their own, or so says the two-time owner of Subarus with flat fours. So I just thought that was kind of interesting, something I hadn't thought of before. Welcome to the world of podcasting, Casey. There will be infinite follow-up. You will be able to address almost none of it. I know. And uh, and it will keep coming long. Like So we, we've recorded these episodes now... Um, we recorded the first few episodes in January of 2013. Um, in 2015, you will still be getting people who have just discovered the show, have downloaded those episodes, and are now going to write in and tell you uh, all the things you were wrong about two years ago. I'm very much looking forward to it. I enjoyed seeing uh, complete disagreement among people sending an email like, you definitely need snow tires, you don't need them, I live in the tundra and you need them, I live in the North Pole and you don't need them, rear-wheel drive is better, firm. it's like no agreement, no consensus whatsoever. Yeah, completely unhelpful feedback <laughs> on <true>. that. <laughs> um, and the only other piece of follow-up I had, um, CK Subs wrote in, do you have any project cars? No, none of us do. Yeah, that was an interesting email. Like The, the whole concept of, of project cars, I, I think, is is worth discussing like you know like it's it's a pretty a pretty uh, big culture of people who who love buying you know usually really old cars and fixing them up and and working on them and uh i don't know if it's a, a generational thing or what i never even had uh a little temptation to do that like not i have zero uh, inkling to do that just because i've just i've never had anyone else in my life to uh who did that who who i would want to do it with and uh I mean, certainly not you guys. Uh, <laughs> you guys would be useless, indeed. And uh, and I I don't know. I, I'm not sure I have the patience for that. Like I I think I'd rather, you know, like back back when uh, like the whole story with uh, with the founding of Apple Computer and everything. How you know there? I think I think it was Steve Jobs' theory about how there were, or actually maybe it was Bill Gates' theory. And <laughs> I think about it um, that there were all these uh, hardware hackers, uh, but there were a whole bunch of people who d- 
didn't want to assemble a computer themselves from from parts or from electrical components, and who just wanted to mess around with software, who just wanted to like use the computer, um, and that's kind of how I feel about about messing with car hardware too. Like I don't when I get my cars, I I don't want to modify them. I don't want to work on them. Uh, I don't want any access to the inner workings. Really, I just I just want to use them. I just want to enjoy them working, and I don't really want to invest the time uh, into doing anything more with them hardware wise. Is is that roughly how you guys feel? Uh, you know, it's funny. My dad actually uh, he had he works for IBM now, but had this kind of weird way of ending up there. And there was a couple of years when he was pretty young that he was a professional mechanic for Buick. And so since that must I have been can, a lot of work. It, it was. For Buick? Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, lots of space to work in those cars. Well, and it's funny you say that because I, I know you say that slightly jokingly, but that's actually legitimately true. And so to this day, <laughs> he has a 1970 Dodge Dart, uh, a Swinger 340 that he's bored and stroked. And I want to say it's like 406 cubes now. And it, he basically rebuilt that motor from the block up. And before that car, uh, he had a 1977 Corvette that had, for all intents and purposes, been my only older sibling. I'm the eldest of three boys. And that car was basically my older brother or sister, depending on how you look at it. And at one point, he had actually totaled the car and then rebuilt it from the frame up. And this was when I was like 10. So this was, what, early 90s. And at that point, especially in New York, that was a fairly rare and odd thing for a person to rebuild a car from the frame up. And he is a my dad is a very good mechanic. He is uncanny at, at diagnosing mechanical issues, and I got none of those genes. And so, to, to in short, Marco, I, I mostly feel the same way you do. I, I feel like I understand a lot in theory, although we've gotten a lot of feedback that, that tells me I'm wrong and that I know nothing. But... Uh, in application, I unequivocally know absolutely zilch. Now, John, I imagine you could fix cars uh, in your driveway, but that if you did fix cars in your driveway, they would end up with a lot of small holes in the engine block. Is that is that roughly how that would go? Yeah, I, I've I, I come from a similar background to Casey. Well, maybe not so much my father, but my my grandfather was heavily into cars. I remember every time I went over to my grandfather's house, he had his car parked on the driveway with the hood open and was doing something to it. So, like this is it was constantly monkeying around with this car but it's not that i didn't get those jeans like when i was a kid i i made remote control cars which was you know like the, the, the training wheels version of a, of a big car that's pretty cool uh, and yeah but that was you know but as i as they get bigger i viewed as i went into adulthood i viewed cars the same way that we probably now view someone who has a boat it's like a, a giant pit where you shove money like because they're they're just so expensive and you can spend unlimited money on car stuff you know, no matter no matter what you, the, every part of a car can be tremendously expensive, and you know, and it's not that's not where the the pit that I wanted my money to go down. The pit that I wanted my money to go down had like CPUs in it and RAM, which is a different <laughs> pit that you can shove money into, which is also almost as deep, but uh, way less money though. I don't know if well, it really depends on what you do because some people some people have a com- have a complete all consuming hobby messing with their cars and it does not cost more than our copy our hobby buying you know ipads and computers and data plans for our cell phones and stuff but i really like i you know i I viewed cars as transportation and i didn't want to be messing with something that also had to serve you know because i can mess with my computer if i screw up my computer so what right it's not a big deal my wife's got her own computer that i don't screw with and 
uh, everything's fine. But if I was messing with the car and it's like, oh, you you know, one of the cars is out of commission because I'm um, changing the head gasket. Like, well, you know, I needed that car now. It's, I, you know, <laughs> I don't want to mess with that type of thing. But it, it does have an allure. There's a lot of like expensive hobbies that I can imagine myself being into if I wasn't already into so many other expensive hobbies and time consuming too, you know. Uh, and also, I think I think it, a little bit has to do with the weather because if you don't have a big kind of heated indoor garage to mess with your car, car messing with season is much shorter in New England, you know, because you're not going to be out there in the middle of February uh, deciding that now's the time to change your own timing belt because that's just no fun. That's this is actually a, a decent segue into uh, – I wanted to talk about having multiple cars. Um, this is this is kind of a, a – this could be a big topic. I don't know. But uh, so so for, for my entire adult life until um, – Last year, I only had one car at a time, and it was it was fine, um, or zero cars depending on what time it was. And last year, I, I bought the one M, and I, and I got it. I I was kind of thinking, you know, maybe I maybe I want a fun car because I was like I was right in the middle of my three twenty eight lease, and my three twenty eight was the family car, and I was and you know it was it wasn't quite as fast as as I wanted it to be, and I I I, I was interested in the idea of. Uh, of having like a small two-door zip-around car because most of the driving I do is running local errands by myself. Um, usually, you know, like I'll go out and get lunch every day or most days. I do most of the grocery shopping. Uh, my wife stays home with the baby and and does house stuff. So I'm doing most of the driving by myself. So I thought it'd be nice to have a little fun car, but at the same time, I also need a family car that I like to drive because on family trips, I'm usually the driver because that's what I like. Um, so I didn't want to just have Tiff's car be a family car. I wanted one that I could drive, and my car was also bigger, so it's better as a family car anyway, um, and has better all-wheel drive and everything else, and doesn't have the Lexus touchscreen, which I hate. Um, so I got the idea in my head, oh, maybe I'll start looking for like a, like a 135, and, uh, and then, of course, I started looking at the 1M as a, as a possible like reach, and I was looking at listings for, for a, probably a good six months, and then I, I eventually found one that I thought was a fantastic deal, and I jumped on it, and it was. Um, but you know, having so now I have I have two cars that are mine, and one car that's my wife's. And this is not I, I recognize this is a tremendous you know first world problem slash white wine. Um, this is this is obviously uh, you know not not a problem per se, uh, but there are a lot of annoyances about having multiple cars, and so you know and. It's kind of like having multiple computers, uh, in 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 this in a lot of senses actually. Um, so all right, you know the, the the most obvious problem with having multiple cars is where do you store them? Where do you put them? Um, if you have a garage, do you have enough space in your garage for for all of your cars, or do some of them have to live outside of the garage? Uh, or you know, same thing if you have a driveway, you know, do you have enough space? Do you have to park one on the street? If you don't have a garage or a driveway and you need to park all of your cars on the street, is there enough space on the street? And if you have to move your car like once a week for street cleaning or something like that, uh, do you want to have to move two cars? <laughs> you know, like there's... Basically, I, I've never really loved the idea of having like a driveway full of cars. Cause, and then like, you know, what happens when you want to take one out? You got to, you, you know, you got to move car A to get car B in or out of the driveway or the garage. And you're always moving cars. So it's annoying. So for us, we have our driveway is two cars wide, and we have a, a two-car garage, um, and a fairly small one at that. 
but uh, you know, because it's an old house. It's not like the new house where a two car garage is pretty much like a two car plus seventeen motorcycle garage. They have a lot of free space. Ours is not that size. Um, so we're doing the car shuffle all the time now, and that's that's pretty annoying. There's also like other small things. There's you know, there's multiple registrations, multiple licenses to deal with, multiple uh, inspections you have to get every couple of years. I have to have different easy passes for the different cars. Uh, we have and like little things. You have to have different ice scrapers for the, you know. You have to have an ice scraper in each car. I have to have you know like I my I don't keep that much in my car generally speaking uh, for like creature comfort stuff. I basically keep uh, a tin of Altoids. And uh, a little bottle of some kind of hand sanitizer. So if I pump gas and my hand smells like the crappy gas pump smell, uh, then I can I can squirt that on my hand and have it not smell. Um, so, but then like I have, that's two things I have to keep stocked in both cars. So I have to have you know my my gas hand liquid and my Altoids keeping keep stocked in both cars. Like it's a little annoying things like that. And then there's always like there's the oh that's in the other car syndrome, uh, which is very <laughs> anybody with. Uh, Anybody with uh, multiple computers always knows, oh, that, that file's on my other computer. You know, it's like that same thing with cars. Like, if you have something in the trunk, grocery bags or, you know, stuff like that, you know, stuff for the baby, you know, whatever it is. Oh, I, I think I have that thing in my trunk. And then you go to the grocery store and then you realize, oh, all my bags are in the other car. Like, there's, there's little things like that, that that build up and get pretty annoying. And then there's also, like, more, you know, more annoying things like uh, you have multiple maintenance schedules for the cars. Um, when you have multiple cars, there's there's more of a chance that in any given time period something is going to go wrong on one of them, you know, <laughs> or some or something's going to need maintenance. So you end up spending more time getting your car maintained or doing it yourself. So there's there's all these quite significant costs in in either money or time or annoyance um, in having multiple cars. So. I've decided that my next car that I get, which I guess I'll talk about uh, shortly, my next car I get, I, I've decided to consolidate. And um, I'm probably going to sell the 1M this summer uh, and consolidate into, you know, rather than having um, rather than having one big car and one fun car, I'd rather just have one big fun car. So I don't know. What do you guys think about having? Because Casey, you you still have, you ha, you have like seventeen white Subarus in your driveway, right? <laughs> yeah, I have one and only one white Subaru in my driveway. So, uh, really quickly, the the story there is that, like I've t- talked about ad nauseum, uh, you know, I found this three thirty five. I pounced on it fairly quickly, and it was a internet dealer in the sense that they didn't really have a showroom. It wasn't a BMW dealer. It was just a. a kind of a few guys in some warehouse outside Philly. That's not suspicious at all. It, 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 oh my God. And it was so sketchy driving up to it, but actually they had unbelievable cars there in any case. And then they were BMW concentrated, but regardless of that, uh, we did that whole deal without involving the Subaru at all. And so the Subaru has been sitting out front waiting to get sold to like a CarMax or some other dealer since September or some such. And, I there have been times that I could justifiably choose taking the Subaru over the BMW. Like for example, like if it's snowing. Like if it's snowing, because I have summer tires on the BMW, and that all all joking aside, that's it's pretty dangerous being out in more than a quarter inch of snow in summer tires, or even in the cold for that matter. And yet I cannot find a reason to get 
behind the wheel of the Subaru. It's not that I don't like the car. I mean, I do like it, but it's not, it's not my new car. It's not, it's not the thing that I really, really enjoy driving. And so out of pure laziness and laziness and procrastination, the Subaru is still sitting out there. Or maybe it's just because I really subconsciously enjoy you guys making fun of me. I don't know. But it's still sitting out in the driveway. Now, the advantage that we have is that our driveway is just barely big enough to be able to squeeze our two cars in and out without having to move the Subaru. And I know that your driveway, like you had said, is not like that. But regardless, it's sitting out there waiting for me to clean it up and then just go give it to a dealer and sell it. And I'm just lazy. And I, there's no reason for it being there, and I want to get rid of it. So if you if you happen to live in Richmond, Virginia, and want a uh, white Subaru, let me know. Now it's a famous white Subaru. Now it's because famous. The Casey Liss drove <laughs> yes, it for so long. That's right, something like that. <laughs> John, what do you think? I mean, I, you know, you and your wife both have cars. Do you have any of these problems with uh, just like the the practicalities of having multiple cars? Well, you know, when you were talking about multiple cars, the only thing I could think of is that you can replay the transcript or the audio from that segment and replace car with child because almost all the things are analogous. <laughs> like, especially like the ones with like, you know, one has to go in the shop. They're on different service intervals. One is sick and the other one's not. They go to, they go into, one is in kindergarten and one is still, you know, in daycare or preschool. And yeah, it's uh, it's good training for that. But yeah, so we had multiple cars and our our, it's kind of like, it's because you're used you were used to not having multiple cars that all this is weird because we're kind of used to having multiple ones and the things we do to deal with it are not solutions for you it's just kind of like that's like your problems are our solutions so for example uh our, we have a driveway that if it's two cars on it one behind the other two sm- relatively small cars one behind the other and then one tiny little carriage sized uh garage that the cars are almost never in uh because it's filled with junk and because we don't have an opener and, you know, many other reasons. I, I actually shoved the Civic in it tonight because of the snow, but that's pretty much the only time we put the car in there is uh, if we know there's a big snow coming, it helps to be able to shovel and plow out part of the driveway without having the car blocking everything up. Uh, but that means basically that, uh, you know, it's that you can't, the only car that can get out is the one at the end of the driveway. And so how do we deal with that? You know, we come home at different times and stuff like that. Well, we deal with it by, you know, if someone needs to go out somewhere, they take the car that's at the end of the driveway. <laughs> like, that's the solution, right? You know, it's not like, oh, which is, which is your car, which is your wife's car. You just keep a car. stack. Right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and the, only, the only violation of that, I'm the one who's constantly trying to cause a violation to that rule to say, don't just take the car that's at the end of the driveway. And then I'll volunteer to go out and move the other car because I want, if, if anyone else is taking the children, I like us to take the Accord because it's a safer car because it's bigger. So then it's a two-person job. You both hop in the car. You know, one person goes in the Accord with the kids. The other person goes in the Civic. The Civic backs out of the driveway. The Accord comes out. The Civic goes back in, right? Easy pass. We just have one of them, and we just move it from car to car because we don't, you know, go on toll roads that often. When we do, we just re- oh, remember to get the Easy Pass. Same thing with navigation. We got one navigation thing. We just put that in the car that's going to need navigation at the time. Uh, so those are all, all those annoyances are just like the way we the way we deal with our cars, right? Uh, I would love a side by side driveway with the two cars because that would eliminate a lot of the things. Because I do, I am the one who's always a stickler for like it. Look, if you're taking any of the kids, take the Accord. And like, oh, it doesn't matter. We're just going to the store. I'm like, just take the Accord. Uh, and then I don't want to move the car. I'll move it for you. You know. Uh, <laughs> do so, you do you always use that voice when doing it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a constant, you know, because my wife d- is not as obsessed with taking the Accord when she takes. So I'm just taking one kid. It's like, it doesn't matter, you know. Uh, but, but I like having two cars. We've had 
two car. We had one car when we were first married. We just had the 92 Civic and that was just the two of us with no kids. And then eventually it was the two of us and a dog. And I hated having one car because it's like single point of failure for like your whole life shuts down. If the car has to be in the shop, then, you know, the, the places we would bring our Civic to were not giving us free rental cars. It's not like a Lexus dealership. Bro, oh, take out this other car while we're working on yours. No, it was like, <laughs> well, we have your car. Uh, you can take public transportation back home or you can sit here for four hours and wait for it. It's up to you. Uh, so that was always problematic for me. And as that car aged, I was like, boy, I just, I can't wait to have to. And now having two cars, like, oh, you know, it's, it's a miracle. We can still have a functioning life and run errands and stuff while one car is in the shop. Uh, so I enjoy it. Yeah, and yeah. to that end, uh, we, well, now the BMW has navigation, but the Subaru did not. And so we only have one Easy Pass because, believe it or not, Easy Pass stretches all the way as far south as we are. Um, and, and we would do the same thing, John, that you do, that we would take the Easy Pass in the, into the one car that the two of us are in for a road trip. Well, or, are you guys aware that you can go onto Easy Pass's website and just ask for another transponder and another set of yeah, other things? And they, they'll, just, they they'll melt charge. you for free. I think they used to charge money for it, and that's why we didn't do it. We should just do it. <laughs> no, they are. Ch- I could swear that that maybe it's a Virginian thing, but I could swear that they're starting to charge money for transponders now. The Velcro things you can get for free. Just ask. No, um, we don't use and those. Then the Velcro things are, are terrible. Oh, they're yeah, awesome. No, they're only awesome the first time you stick them on. Well, yeah. But if, you, if, you re- if you remove, not the sticky part, the Velcro part, it's like super-duper mega Velcro, and you're like, wow, this is the best Velcro in the world. But if you take it off and on and off and on the Velcro part several times, eventually the Velcro goes, nope, not working anymore. Yeah, it's really not made for that. I mean, that's why, that's why I think you should just get a second transponder. Like, I, I, maybe they'll charge you five bucks. I mean, it's not going to be a lot of money. Um, the, and I you think get it's the monthly. For free. Yeah, I think, I think it's like a rent getting into the cable box. Thing. It's not, because yeah. we now have three easy pass transponders. I can guarantee you it's not monthly. I don't know. I'll look it up. And you can tie them anyway, all, that's, all that's, to the same that's, credit card, the same account. It's really nice. Anyway, uh, this episode's sponsored by EasyPass. <laughs> <laughs> we used to have Fastlane for... Uh, no, I, actually, we used to have EasyPass and switched to Fastlane. We keep going back and forth because it was a hassle. We had EasyPass for a while and my parents lived in New York uh, because like, oh, hey, we'll, we'll get EasyPass and we can use that in both places. And I think maybe Fastlane wasn't used in both places back then or something. Uh, but then we kept getting the thing where they would send us a ticket in the mail because the transponder didn't work and they got a little picture <laughs> of your license plate and you would have to prove to them that, uh, you know, th- because Fastlane didn't have a record of us owning an Easy Pass because Fastlane was Massachusetts and Easy Pass was New York. And so you'd have to write the Easy Pass and get them to prove to Fastlane that we have a transponder and it's just a big mess. So I think we're back on Fastlane now. I don't remember, but yeah, they need to get their acts together. Hey guys, real-time follow-up. From EasyPassVA.com, starting September 2012, a monthly accountant maintenance fee will be charged to your account. The fee will be $0.50 for each standard transponder and $1 for each flex transponder issued after July 9, 2012. It still doesn't make any—I mean, Hmm. it's probably worth $12 a year not to have the annoyance, but it's like the principal, you know? Yeah, that's— Nickel and diamond. Right, (laughs) exactly. And to be honest, we so rarely need an EasyPass that it's—we almost never use it anyway. Yeah, I don't like it being stuck on the window. I think it's an aesthetic eyesore. We don't stick oh, ours yeah. on the window. Well, we what you do the, is you, you put it in, in the visual shadow behind the mirror. So yeah, it you depends. put it some, so that the mirrors, driver can't see it at all. Some mirrors don't allow that, depending on how they're attached. But yeah, we keep ours in the glove box. That is, yep. That's our system. Same here. And then we Terrible. also do the same dance with the uh, Valentine 1 as well, which, by the way, we can't put up until we leave Virginia. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, so Marco, what car are you buying to fix all your woes? Well, before we get to that, I was thinking about trying the ad read myself this week. Uh, what do you think? Should I should I attempt it? Or John, do you want? 
<laughs> I do not want to. I, that'd be funny. Uh, you, can, right. you can give it a go, and if it doesn't work, you can uh, tap your wife. Uh, <laughs> that sounds inappropriate. <laughs> okay. All right. So this episode, uh, like the previous uh, four episodes, is once again sponsored by Squarespace. Um, you know, they gave me a big script to read. You know, for tips to read, uh, but they're pretty cool. So I think they're gonna they're gonna be fine if I go off script. What I like about Squarespace, so we we put our site there, and I actually hosted our site there before I asked them to be our sponsor, just because it made sense. And it's a little weird coming from me because I'm I'm the uh, co-founder, I guess, uh, of Tumblr which in some ways competes with Squarespace. Um, but the reason I went to Squarespace for this was, you know, Tumblr and, and many other things like that, uh, but mostly Tumblr, <laughs> are, uh, are made for a lot of different types of things. But when you just want to put up a website for, like, your business or something, like, Squarespace is way better for that. It just, it's optimized for that. Tumblr is really more for, like, the social posting interaction, stuff like that. Squarespace is made for... Here's a website. Here's a portfolio. Here's a site from my restaurant or my business. And even like, and you can do like blogs and stuff on it too. So we put up a podcast there. They will actually host your podcast files, which I don't know how they can afford to do that, but somehow they can, which is awesome. Okay. Um, so I like Squarespace a lot. Um, the theme that we picked for our site is just one of their built in themes. I even hacked it to, uh, I, I hacked it with JavaScript to show the uh, download links and the and the uh, the duration of each MP3 file, and you can you can just you know type in random JavaScript to inject into your page and it'll do it. Same, I I also tweaked the CSS a little bit, um, just because just tweak a couple of things that I didn't care for about the theme. But you don't even have like so you can do that. You you can tweak it if you want to. If you don't want to tweak it, you don't have to. Uh, it's really great. So anyway. Uh, it's Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com. It's uh, eight bucks a month, and you, know, you can save some money if you uh, if you book it like a whole year at once. Uh, you can also save money if you use our coupon code. Please do this. Uh, go to squarespace.com/slash-neutral, um, I believe. Uh, use our coupon code, which is neutral two, when you check out. That's neutral two because it's two number num- uh, month number two February. Uh, use neutral two coupon code. You will get a ten percent discount. So thank you for Squarespace for supporting five by five and back to work. Oh, I mean, um, I mean neutral. <laughs> all right. Thanks, so uh, how was that? Was that all right? That was pretty good. All right, good. We'll we'll cut all this out. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so you know I was saying you know I so my lease for the three series is up uh, in a few months as I've said before. I got to pick something else and. So my options are, I mean, technically I don't have to pick something else. I could buy the three series, you know, at the end of the lease. Um, and it's, that was actually a tempting uh, idea, actually, because I'm very happy with the car. I like it a lot. The 328 is an awesome car. And uh, there's just a few things about it that are annoying. So one, the whole reason that my wife has to have her own car is because she doesn't really drive stick. And, well, that's, that's the primary. I mean, there's other reasons, but that's the primary reason. Um, and so it's annoying, like if we're taking a long car trip with my car, uh, and my car usually is usually the one that we take long trips with. If we're taking a long trip, it is annoying that, uh, she can't really help with the driving. And at the same time, I don't really want to give up a stick. Um, so the car I was looking at for the most part, um, is the five series and, you know, Syracuse have alluded to this earlier. Um, the three series is very, very good. I, I would like a little bit more rear leg room, which helps a lot with car seats. 
Um, if you put a car seat, especially a rear-facing car seat when you have a really young kid, and, and we are planning on, on probably trying to have uh, one more kid, so, uh, and that'll probably happen during the next car lease. So, uh, so we're thinking, you know, if we're going to have two car seats in the back, uh, a little bit more leg room in the back would be very helpful because then the front passengers don't have to scoot their seats all the way up when the car seat's back there. Um, so a little bit more rear leg room and more trunk space would also be very welcome because, as everyone knows, kids come with lots of stuff and even adults come with lots of stuff. So <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be nice to have um, a little bit more trunk space. Um, that said, we don't. Ne- I, I don't think we need to go to like a van or an SUV because the 328 has served us very well for this time. Like we've had, we've ha- we had our first kid, and he's now nine months old, and we've had the 328 this whole time, and it's been enough. Um, oftentimes, not with a whole lot of room to spare, but it has been enough. So I don't think we need to go like to a massively differently shaped car or anything. Um, some people do when they have kids. It, it it doesn't really our lifestyle just doesn't really need that. You know, we don't bring that much stuff with us, and maybe that'll change in the future. Who knows? But for now, being nine months into kid one, uh, I I think we'll be fine with with sedans for for the foreseeable future, uh, for the most part. So. I was looking at the 5 Series. The 5 Series has an annoying limitation, though. Um, You can't get both all-wheel drive and a stick. All the all-wheel drives in the 5 Series have have automatic transmissions only. And so I was a little bummed about this for a while, but then I drove one, and it's actually really good. It's, I got to say, you know, as I, as as I talked at length in episode uh, two about BS manual modes uh, in automatics, the BMW, uh, quote, sport automatic, I'm making air quotes with my fingers, the sport automatic transmission is actually really good. It, it's, it's fairly responsive. It is fairly sporty. Um, you know, it ha- you can, like, set it in software to be sportier or not and everything. It's, it's, it's pretty good. I, I, I could be very happy with that. Uh, excuse me. So, <laughs> I could be very happy with that. But, um, yeah, and otherwise, you know, the car, the 5 Series is great. It's, it's a little expensive. Well, that's <laughs> understatement. It's a pretty expensive car. Um, but otherwise, it's a fantastic car. It has lots of good options. But then I got the Rocket, the 1M. And the 1M gave me a taste of what M cars are like. So naturally, I thought, well, I've always joked about wanting an M5. Let me go test drive one. Just to see, you know. And... Because you know, I was looking at probably the 550 as the as the, the most likely car pick. So I thought, let me go, let me go test drive an M5. Now this uh, this was an experience that I just could not believe. Because here here's how this goes. You know, you know, I described in an earlier episode about how I I took the uh, the Toyota MR2 for a test drive when I was like 19, and it was like the thrill of my year that year. Um, I was always the guy who would go into the car dealership and go just like just gaze at the like high end sports car that they had sitting in the showroom and you know that was like nobody would was allowed to really test drive that they would never take it out of the showroom i kind of felt like self conscious and like i didn't even belong there even just like looking at it or opening the door and sitting in it like that would make me feel self conscious have you guys had that experience yeah definitely i never go into expensive car dealerships <laughs> <laughs> so and and even just like like a year ago, when we were or almost two years ago now, when we were looking for Tiff's car, one of the cars she was looking at, as I said, was the Audi A3. And I, I remember going to the Audi dealership, and the, and there's the R8 sitting there. This like what is one hundred and thirty, hundred and forty thousand dollar car, something like that. 
really expensive high-end Audi sports car. Um, and I remember, like, I was afraid. Like, they had, like, a little, like, the little velvet ropes around the R8. Like, you couldn't even go near it. <laughs> and, like, I was afraid to even get too close to it to even, like, look in the window and look at the controls and, and the dash and everything. You know, it's funny uh, you say that to really quickly interrupt. Every time I uh, go and look at a really nice car, which typically is only because I happen to be in the dealer for some other reason, so typically that means a BMW, I always make a point of, if I'm wearing a coat, grabbing my, if it's not zipped up, hey, grab, grabbing, the zipper. grab the zippers yep. and pull them behind <laughs> my body. I do and, that too. Or, and or if it's summertime, make sure if I have my sunglasses like dangling off my t-shirt or polo shirt or whatever, grabbing onto them to show, dude, I'm being respectful. Don't worry. I'm not going to screw up your car. Yeah. So I, I totally hear you. Like and like sometimes like if, if they're actually accessible to get that close to, if they don't have velvet ropes like Audi, um, <laughs> Like, if I sit in the car, I won't put my feet in. I'll just, like, put my butt on the seat with my feet still out the door. You know? Yeah, yeah I, know, I know what you're saying. <laughs> so, anyway. So, that was, that was like, a year and a half ago that I saw the R8 and, and, you know, was kind of afraid to go near it. Well, I had expressed interest in, the, uh, in test driving an M5 to, my, to the dealer I go to. Um, and I'd, I'd already test driven the 550 with them, so they, they knew that I was, I was serious about it. And... Um, so my guy calls me up a few months ago, my guy at the dealership, and he says, uh, hey, we just got an M5 in. So, you know, do you want to come in, like, today? Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, who would say no to that? Uh, I guess if you had a corporate stew shop. <laughs> but, no, I mean, I hell, even no Syracuse would say yes to that. Yeah, I think both of us would absolutely say yes to that. So I thought, all right, let me, let me go test drive this thing. And I, and I asked him, like, I'm like, is the 550 still there? Because what I would like to do is a test drive back-to-back. You know, just because... You know, the, the cars get, they change in your mind. Like, if you're trying to compare two cars, like, ideally you want to do it back-to-back so you can have, have the other test drive fresh in your mind when you do, when you do the next one. So, uh, this is perfect, perfect setup. So I go down there. Now, you know, having, having come from my, my modest background and having always admired cars, it was amazing that I showed up at the car dealer and the M5... Is not a, is not on the lot. No, it's in the showroom, behind an M6 or no, behind a uh, it was a, a 650. And so I get there, they open the doors to the showroom, and they they <laughs> take this M5 that was this car that I would be the one you know gazing at, longing for, thinking I could never have. Uh, they drive the M or the 650 out. And they pull out the M5 out of the showroom for me to drive. That has got to be the most surreal feeling in the world. And I would also feel like such a tool. And I don't mean that in a jerky way. I, I mean, I would almost be embarrassed to be causing all this ruckus, even though you had a perfectly legitimate reason to do so. I was. And in fact, you were invited to do that. But I would be so embarrassed by it. I was very self-conscious. I, I mean, the good thing is it was like a weekday afternoon, so there, there was nobody else really there. If, you know, if, if it was like a Saturday and it was like a showroom full of people, I would have felt like a dick. Like, I would have felt really self-conscious about that. So anyway, so they, they pulled this ridiculous car out for me to test drive, even though they knew that I wasn't planning on buying one anytime soon. Um, and possibly at all, of course, you know. So, uh, all right, so I did the M5 first. And then, so I did the M5, and then I was going to do the 550 when I got back with it. And the M5 is just a ridiculous car. I mean, it is... And I had previously driven one at the at the uh, the race day thing, 
but that was like with a racing helmet on on a track for 15 minutes so it wasn't wasn't like a whole lot of experience with it and it was nothing like driving on the road so this one i actually uh i didn't really ask until we were already in the car and then i was like hey can we take this on the highway which is you know a good 15 miles and they don't like the salesman was explaining to me they don't even get to test drive them themselves like when 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 a super high-end car comes in like that generally people who are going to buy an m5 don't want a whole lot of miles on it from people taking test drives so they will only let quote qualified buyers but uh even test drive the car so apparently my salesman had to go to his manager and get permission for this and what got him permission to let me test drive it was he told him that I had a 1M. And he's like, okay, well, that's it. <laughs> if you have a 1M, obviously <laughs> wow. you're, you're a serious enough buyer that you might really be considering an M5. So <laughs> you should tell him you spent all your money on the 1M. <laughs> that was it. That was every penny I had in the world. <laughs> so anyway, that was apparently enough to qualify. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I'm taking it out. And like the salesman has never even been in this car. He's never driven it. He wasn't even allowed to drive out of my test drive. I, I, I was trying, like, trying to make a deal with him. Like, hey, you know, I'll, I'll let you drive it for 10 minutes if I give you a good price on it. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, so we take this thing out, and he is just as amazed as I am during the ride because, you know, it was just as new to him. And uh, so that felt amazing. I mean, I really felt like I was king of the world that day. I, I, it was ridiculous. So I drive the M5 on the highway and back all through all the local roads and everything, and it's a fantastic car. I mean, compared to the 1M, it's extraordinarily different. Um, I don't know how much our listeners actually care about the, the minutia of those differences, but it is, uh, it is just as fun, just as fast. If, it is a much bigger and heavier car, of course, but it is an amazing car, and uh, it has way more luxury features. And, and, and that's saying a lot, because the 1M is, is a pretty luxurious car, actually. It has almost all the features of the 3 Series. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a pretty... It's a pretty great bar to beat, but the M5, no question, was a better car um, for for most purposes. And uh, so, I, and and it was also way easier to keep traction in it. You know, the 1M is a really overpowered car. Uh, it's it is very very easy to lose grip on the rear tires in the 1M when you don't even mean to. And with the M5, it just felt way more controlled. When it did lose grip, it it um, recovered way faster. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a much bigger, heavier, you know, more refined car. So, okay. Then I get back and I think, oh my God, this car's ridiculous. Then I take the test drive in the 550. The 550, by all means, is the more sensible car, mostly for my purposes because it has all-wheel drive. And as we've talked about before, I like all-wheel drive a lot. So I drive the 550 right after driving the M5, and honestly, it wasn't that different. Like, the, the difference between the two was not nearly as big as I expected it to be. And, and I, I remember thinking, like, with the 550, like, this is, this is surprisingly close. Even some of the things that people think are really big differences, like the steering being more, more communicative, you know, you feel more of the road feel with the hydraulic system in the M5 versus the electric power system in, in the 5 Series. Um, all these things that people cited as major things... They weren't that major when I was driving it. It wasn't that big of a difference. It was a noticeable difference, but it wasn't as big as I thought. Um, even the DCT, which I love in the M5, um, the automatic in the 550 is pretty fast. You know, it's not a DCT, and, and obviously, you know, you'll you notice the difference, but it's pretty fast. So I remember coming out of that, and and of course the all-wheel drive feels great. So I remember coming out of that thinking, I don't want the M5 after all. Like. All this time I've been fantasizing about this car 
And uh, the 550 is so good that, okay, you know, I, I think I can... I, and, you know, the M5, like... The M5 is a fantastic car, but the 550 is a really good car too. Like so, and so I thought, you know what? Is it really worth the loss of all-wheel drive to go to the M5? And you know, pay, you know, you pay more too. But is it really lo- worth the loss of all-wheel drive? And and th- there's like a few options that you can't get on the 550, like the uh, the radar cruise control, or you can get on the 550, but not the M5. And the the black ceramic controls are just cool. Uh, Syracuse would make so much fun of me if he knew what all these things cost. Um, so <laughs> so. Uh, I came out of there thinking, you know what? I'd be fine with the 550. And that's true. But I ordered the M5 anyway. And the main reason why is because the difference that's there, even though the 550 is a fantastic car, the difference to the M5 is the M5 makes you feel more. It the throttle response is very different. The the feel, uh, you know, the the gearing is very different. Like, like that's one thing I really don't like about the new eight speed automatic is that um, the second gear is a, is a really weird ratio and coverage range, and uh, it doesn't shift the way I want to between second and third. Like in that range, in that speed range, it, it's weird because they they inserted another gear there. Um, the the M five is. For my purposes, I just loved that car. I felt something with that car. The 550, I liked it a lot, but I, I didn't like. I didn't love it. The M5 makes enough of a difference that I loved it, and the M5 is is so good that without question, when I get the M5, I will be able to sell the 1M and not and not regret having sold it. Whereas if I get the 550. I would regret not having the 1M. And as I discussed earlier, I really don't like having multiple cars. Like, for me. Like, we're still going to have a car between me and my wife. We're going to have two cars, you know, total there. Having two cars is fine. Having three cars, I really, I really don't... I, I really want to stop having three cars. Because that, that ended up being not nearly as fun as I thought it would be. So, my next car will be an M5. And I'm going to pick it up in Germany with Casey uh, on April 2nd. I am extremely excited to live vicariously through you. And actually, so it's funny because Marco had said, Marco and Tiff both had said to Aaron and I a long time ago, oh yeah, we should all, whatever whatever we get next, we should do European delivery and, and we should all go and it'll be fun. And so Aaron and I kind of always thought, oh, they're, they're, they're very nice people. They're probably just saying that. They're not, they're not going to want to take us along. And so then a few months ago, Marco starts talking to me a lot about, should I get the 550? Should I get the M5? Not to say that I necessarily influenced Marco at all, but we start talking about it a lot. And what are the pros? What are the cons? And then he said, well, you know, you're, you're, you're going, right? You're still, you and Aaron are still in, right? Oh yeah, sure, sure, sure. Whatever. Well, then, you know, Marco says something to the effect of, well, I placed the order. So when are you guys available? And that's when I realized, holy God, we're going to go live vicariously through Marco and (laughs) Tiff. And I am very, very excited for it. So if all things work out well, this should be fun. And and it's funny to me because I didn't want to ruin things when you were talking about winter tires in other countries, but we I know exactly why you know about winter tires in other countries. <laughs> and it's because of this very trip. Yes. And, and and I should point out also this trip is also one of the factors that led us cons- that that led me to decide on the M5 because I thought, you know, we're not planning on going to Germany every three years for you know for like a week long trip to go pick up our new lease. Like 
so this is this is probably not going to be a regular occurrence so you know this is like we're taking a big trip we're going to be there for like a week we're going to be there with with you guys with our friends and we're going to be driving a brand new bmw across europe like that that to me is so much cooler if it's an m5 you know like that you, you can't drive it across the ocean you know I don't know what they told you at the BMW dealership. <laughs> There's no part <laughs> the of ski, Europe that's in the, the ocean. Ski, the jet skis don't come out. The pontoons don't come out the side. So can, we'll have to stop. Can you get ski tires? <laughs> well, you could do the, the James Bond thing, like the Lotus. Oh, yeah. Just little little uh, dive planes come out the side. Windows roll under. It has enough horsepower. That's true. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is what, what John doesn't realize is that Marco and I have signed him up for all of us to meet the M5 when it arrives in the States in Spartanburg or Spartansburg. I always forget if there's an S there or not at the BMW factory in, in, the, in America. So the three of us can go hooning around on the BMW factory track. Granted, you can't take the M5 on the factory track, but we can go visit the factory and, and act like 12 year olds or I guess 16 year olds. And so, John, you, you have been volunteered for that in the same way that that Aaron and I were volunteered to go pick up the car. What is this supposed to happen? I guess two months after Probably April like June. 10th. Yeah. Yeah. Something well, like that. When, WWDC I was about to say, when we're all in WWDC, God willing. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> They'll just hold the car there indefinitely. <laughs> right. Oh, man. So, yeah, so that's that's what I'm doing. And that's and the all-wheel drive decision was was the hardest decision. If If they made an M5 with all-wheel drive, it wouldn't have even been a consideration not to get it. I mean, that I would have gone for that in a heartbeat. Um, but losing all-wheel drive, I, I really don't like that. However, I feel so good about the rest of the car that I'm willing to lose that. And, and one of the things that helps is, is that my wife's car has all-wheel drive. You know, as we discussed uh, last episode, um, you know, because we're, you know, both of us don't need to go anywhere every day. Usually we're traveling together. There's very rare times where we're taking separate cars somewhere. So it would be perfectly fine if her car has all-wheel drive and good good snow handling, and my car gets to be parked for the, the few days a year where even a good pair of winter tires wouldn't be a good idea with, with a rear-wheel drive car. Um, really, where, you know, where I live, there really aren't that many days every year where there's there's actively like snow on the roads that hasn't all been cleared away by plows and salt. And, and so I really think I'll, that will, I'll be fine for most of the time. And for her car right now, her, her, I, her Lexus IS, uh, which I would not recommend. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure she wouldn't recommend it either, but her, her Lexus IS is not a fantastic car, but it works for a while. Uh, when the lease for that is up, we actually saw just, just today, the BMW officially announced the, uh, the three series GT. Have you seen this? Yeah, it's a car without a purpose. John, have you seen that? I have not. I'm Googling for it. Uh, it it's, I don't understand BMW's GT cars. And candidly, I don't understand the whole uh, four-door coupe thing. And I, I can't remember what Mercedes did this. I want I feel like it was first. I'm probably wrong. Don't email me. But it's like the big shooting brake, like swoopy. I just I don't <laughs> like it. Oh, I, I'm, I'm looking at it now. I don't like it either. Do not like it at all. I, I, and the thing is, I like the A7, but I do not like this thing. See, the A7 is... Here, I'll paste the link. This is in case you... Because it's a different link than you have. Full of good pictures. Um, and and I, I should be clear. I think the BMW 5 Series GT is an abomination. Uh, I, I don't know what they were thinking with the 5 Series GT. 
Um, you know, BMW is not perfect. They they make a lot of weird moves, just like everyone else. And uh, and there's a lot of a lot of stuff I don't like. Um, the three series GT is a car that I would never choose for myself. However, uh, for the purposes of of my wife's car, I think it's actually perfect. I mean, I haven't seen one yet. Haven't haven't set, you know driven one yet. She hasn't driven one yet. Um, but like we were looking at this page earlier and saying that's that's actually really promising because it has a whole lot of cargo space. Wait, hold on. Why why am I hearing your Skype sounds? I don't think it's me. All right, I got it. So okay. it has a whole lot of cargo space, and at the same time, it's it's a modified three series. So and and it still looks like a sedan. Right, like it's still for the most part, it no, looks no, no. It looks, it looks like a Honda Cross Tour is what it looks like. So John just well, that's what I want to see. Track. I want to see like you know how like is it is it too lifted? Like it's uh, it's kind of hard to tell. Like it is, it's not good. So John pasted in the chat a picture, <laughs> a profile picture of the. I can't even keep my crap together. A picture of the Honda Cross Tour, which no, with no, all I've the seen respect these. to the three people that own them, this is one of the most hideous cars I've ever seen in my life. And it is it is worse than the three series GT, but I don't know. To me, the three There's series a family GT, resemblance. Oh yeah, there is. Oh, there is. Oh yeah, I'll give three, you that. It, I just I feel like you're halfway between a wagon and a sedan, and so you're you're compromising. You, you are the Microsoft Surface of cars right yeah, now. That's what it is. Well, it's actually though it's it's bigger than the wagon. Like it's it's longer than the wagon, and but it has uh, less usable cargo space. Doesn't it? I mean, I don't. In, in well, this, I have to see it in person. According to the official ratings, which of course we you know those are mostly worthless. The official ratings say it has more. Um, if you so, we'll so. see. Because the, the, the three series wagon, uh, it, it's just the, it's just a three series trunk with a higher roof. It's not it's not really any longer. I don't think. Right. Right. Or the, it, or, or you know, it's within a couple inches, so it doesn't matter. Um, so this this is actually a longer car. It, it's like it's basically the length of a five series. Um, but with a three series width and you know, and a little bit taller, of course. So I'm curious, like if it's too tall, then you're right; it'll look too much like a, like a like most crossovers that we see that are hideous. But I, I have high hopes for this car. I think it might be really perfect. Because and and of course, it'll it'll come out with X Drive um, this fall. So uh, right before the winter, but that I'll have the M5. <laughs> so so we'll see. I, I think this this car. I have high hopes. It, it might end up sucking. I hope it doesn't end up sucking. But I really think this could be my wife's next car. Now, did and you I would be closely? very happy driving it uh, for long trips and stuff in the winter. Did you look closely at this uh, page on F30 posts that you put in the chat? Uh, at the bottom of the description, and this is almost entirely unrelated, oh, active no. rear, spo- oh, active rear spoiler. BMW's first car to be fitted with an active <laughs> rear spoiler, which extends automatically once the car reaches 68 miles an hour or 110 kilometers an hour to maintain stability at higher speeds. Okay, that's really kind of douchey and stupid. <laughs> Have you seen the video? But, <laughs> no, I haven't. But what's interesting, and I, I really mean this seriously, spoiler reduces lift to the, on the rear axle by more than 35%. That's actually pretty cool, as douchey as the... 911 knockoff spoiler maybe uh, i feel like you, you can only get away with active aerodynamics uh, like 911 is the is the entry bar right. for like like when when yeah, can you get yeah. away with all right well so 911 and up you can get away right, with, you know the on, on, on your it. on your mclaren p1 yeah for active whatever i don't care what you know have have it to be a transformer and turn it into a different shape but 911 okay <laughs> fine we'll accept that but once you go down below that once you're like in your fifty thousand dollar car and and it's it's having uh active aerodynamic aids it's like no, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> See, what I like about this car, though, is that 
I think it will have actually probably more cargo space than the A7. Because the A7, I, I saw an A7 in a dealer, and I opened the, the trunk. A7 and is attractive though. I'm, see, I think it looks nice. I'm not sure. The, I, I'm kind of torn on that. Like I think it's, I think it looks really weird from the side, and it's it's a it's very oddly long. Like it's it's kind of a weird proportioned car. I don't like the A7 that much. I think it's okay. It's also ridiculously expensive for what it is. Says so, the man who just ordered an M5. Yeah, seriously. Well, that's a different type of car. I mean, you know, this that's true. The A7 is, is is very similar to the A6 with a differently shaped butt. So I don't know what the three GT is going to cost, but it's probably going to be like twenty grand at least less than the A7. And it's and it's going it has like it has a little bit more the A7 rear is leg a bigger room. car. A7 is a bigger car, isn't it? Sure, it looks I, it is. Pictures, I think I will mean. we'll have to check the dimensions and and have everybody email us. Um, they made the three series GT a little bit. They made it like eight inches longer. It's a pretty. It's a noticeably longer car than the regular three series, and a good few inches of that goes to back seat room, and then the rest of it goes to the trunk. So you actually have like a five series class back seat. I think that's see. That's why I'm. I really want to see this car. I think this might be really great for people who aren't us. But I don't know. I, 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 it's very, it's a curiosity. You know, I really want to see it in person. I don't, I'm not understanding why the A7 looks so much better than any of these other shooting brake, whatever they call them. It's because it's not jacked up as much. They like, and I think, like, I've seen them in person on the road, and they just seem like lower and wider as, as compared to what this GD looks like. It looks like, you know, it looks like a crossroad. It looks like upright and narrower, and just it's not. Maybe it's a styling thing where they're able to like emphasize the low wideness like you know because audi has the very thin head and tail lights that are right. all about horizontal you know maybe that maybe it's a uh, you know a fashion trick but uh, it works in person i i saw the a7 in magazines and i thought no that's really weird looking but now i see them on the road i'm like oh that's pretty actually pretty nice i don't know and plus the new grill that audi has it's for the last year or two yeah, where yeah. it goes from the hood line all the way down to the bottom of the bumper and I, see also I see also lexus selling it with a bow tie shape I like the Lexus more than this, although I don't totally love the Lexus either. And Marco just pasted in the chat a picture of the hindquarters of the A7, and I was going to say the same thing. That that It's got a badonkadonk. It looks low and wide. It looks like it. the back of an R8. Oh, John. Uh, usually you and I are so much in agreement, but I, I don't get it. <laughs> well, I'm saying, like, I, didn't, I don't think it looks that great in pictures. I agree, but I, I see them frequently in person on the road, and every time I see one in person, I'm struck by how, uh, much, how much nicer it looks than I, I thought it would. And that, maybe I'll have to see one in person to that point, but looking at pictures, I don't get it. You don't see a lot of uh, A7s tooling around Virginia? No, no. I, I see tons of A4s, and the 3 Series, especially in the part of Richmond we're in, the 3 Series is like the yuppie Civic, so we see tons of those, but no, not a lot of big Audis, and not a lot of big BMWs either, for that matter. And we see a ton of in, in my area are Panameras. You didn't Ew. think anyone was buying that car. Every, uh, I see so of many ugly. of them around here. It's like, I don't know what happened. I, don't, I didn't think they were going to sell a single one of those. The same thing with the, the, the Cayenne. I didn't think they were going to sell any of those, but I, I used to see those around, and then suddenly they started being replaced with Panameras. And the Panamera, again, I, you know, it does not look good in pictures. In person, it still doesn't look good, but it looks better than it does in the pictures. That's the thing. Like, I, I think... First of all, I, I think BMW is going to sell a lot of these things, these three GTs. I even though like nerds like us want things to be you know shorter, smaller, sleeker. The fact is, the market, especially in the U.S. at least, and the rest of the world, they probably think crazy and and fat. But uh, you know, our market demands vehicles like this that have 
more cargo space, bigger everything, long you know, longer everything, bigger everything, more you know, more versatility. And the reason why these weird crossovers exist is because they sell. And like, I mean, I see ton, you know, you said you only see like one or two of these Honda things. I see tons of those Honda things. I see them all the time. I see people here have have the weird BMW X6, which is their their abbreviation SAC, the Sports Activity Coupe. They actually <laughs> yeah, call good. it that. I mean, it's like, and but people here buy them. You know, <laughs> but, well, you can always take it too far. I mean, the cautionary tale is: anyone remember the Mercedes R Class? No. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, most people don't remember the Mercedes R Class, but like you can, like oh, so people like wagons and they kind of like SUV type things, and so like they want to get they they don't want you to not buy their car because you don't have room for your stuff, like and so they're constantly trying to find a way to make you know make the BMW still cool but have more room for stuff. Well, Mercedes took that to its logical conclusion and produced what was essentially a minivan. Oh, for, I for, se- oh, yes. for seventy grand. Uh, now that I'm looking at pictures, I, I do don't know think this. a lot of people bought those. I see them around, but, uh, but then I see them. I said, "You pay seventy thousand dollars for a minivan." That's what I say when I see those people. I do think it's funny too how like almost all of these new car shapes and sizes, almost all of them are so that Americans can get the, the benefits of a minivan without buying one, or at least some of the benefits of a minivan. Without, like like largely everyone in America, like there's this cultural. Uh, bias against minivans. They're just seen as like these wussy things that nobody can have any fun in. And it's just like, well, they're, they're, I mean, it's like it's like driving a van. It's like driving a bus with your family. You right. go from a car to like now being the bus driver to a big thing. And you, you buy them because, especially if you have larger children. Like, imagine if you had a family with four kids and they're all teenagers. Like, you can't wedge them. No one wants right. to wedge those people in the back of anything. You want to have like big seating, like you're on a big bus, and then you get to be the driver of the bus, and it's. It's like driving a bus. You're up high. The steering wheel is horizontal. You know, it's, just, it's right. It's, and forever, the way people added more capacity, more cargo, or people, or both capacity to their vehicles for decades was to either get wagons or minivans or full size vans. And and in America now, nobody wants vans or uh, or wagons. But we have all these other car types that are similar, <laughs> like SUV. You know, the, the, especially the compact SUVs, which are hilarious. Um, you know, at most SUVs, the whole reason they came about was that they they pretty much replaced minivans in the U.S. and uh, at least for in in most of the market, I think they, they replaced minivans as, as what people went yeah, to when they had big. Then you get they get to drive a truck, like you. <laughs> you go. I'm not driving a van. I'm driving a truck. It's exactly. Much better. Yeah, all right, it's all right. it's shaped more square. <laughs> yeah, they still, they a little still bit drive higher. Like trucks drive <laughs> like trucks and drive like vans. And BMW is. Doing the opposite. Let's try to keep selling three series, but make them look like ugly SUVs, but have them drive like three series. But I honestly, I think this thing's going to sell like crazy because that there are people here who want that. I mean, we want one probably. Like it's crazy. And it, like, if it, if it doesn't look too SUV like, we're probably going to buy one of these things for Tiff. You know, it's weird. We we were alluding to the differences between Americans and and the rest of the world, and it's it's odd because I feel like Americans have a particular bias against station wagons um or uh, i want to say it's estates in british parlance if i'm yes. not mistaken um we, and, we only and, know this from top gear yes and uh, so we have this this real hatred for wagons for hatchbacks and for diesels and hatchbacks to me are kind of the surface in that yeah they have room but they, i don't know i just feel like it's kind of a let's take something tiny and give it a modicum of extra space and now suddenly that's supposed to make everything better yeah, a hatchback is a compact wagon 
Right. And it just doesn't make sense to me. Why not get a wagon? But nobody in America likes wagons. Well, we used no. to like wagons. We we burned out on wagons. It's you're like, right. You're it's right. It's like where you, you have one food all the time. Eventually, it's like it's backlash. Like the wagon backlash happened sometime around we, when we were growing up. Everyone said, that's it. No more of this wagon crap. Mom and dads have wagons. I'm sick of wagons. Wagons are gone. And then minivans came. And then we very quickly decided that those were not, you know, cool or interesting, even <laughs> though, you know, people kept buying for their families, right? And so it's like, I was hoping, okay, now we can go back to wagons, right, guys? Because now, like, minivans are the uncool thing. And now maybe wa- now you realize that driving a car that just has, like, the back bumped out, at least you're still driving a car. It's not like a minivan, right, guys? But we didn't see a resurgence in wagons. The only people who had a resurgence in wagons were Volvo had a resurgence in hot wagons. Uh, my dad had, uh, what was it, the V70 or whatever, the uh, the really the really fast uh, turbocharged uh, five-cylinder uh, Volvo wagon was. Uh only he had the uh, sedan version of it, but they made a wagon over that. Uh, the Cadillac CTS-V, like the, the wagon version of that, and a couple of the high-end things like, you know, uh, BMW, Mercedes, and Audi had wagons at various times. But there was no mainstream resurgence of wagons. It wasn't like everybody all of a sudden had a wagon in addition to their minivan. And so now, like, we've run out of shapes. And they're like, okay, no wagons are no. Minivans are no. How about some mutant hybrid? You know, well, SUVs was like, oh, those are cool now. So they keep making SUVs. But now they want to make something that's not an SUV, that's not a wagon, that's not a minivan. And we end up with these misshapen freaks that are like, like, just give, just give me a wagon. I'll be perfectly happy with, a, you know, a decent wagon. Right. Well, because a wagon is a really efficient use of length of the car. But we don't want them. We, you know, we don't want them aesthetically. Usually, like they, like, I think they look so much better than a lot of these crossovers. Like, what, oh, if I you agree. could, would you, would you rather have this GT thing or a three series wagon? I'd have to drive the GT first. You know, I'd have to see it, especially in person, to see how tall is it. You know? I'd rather have the wagon. It's, I think on paper, I think it's only like two inches taller than in the three series, and that might be a big difference. I don't really know. You know, again, I'd have to see it, and I have to drive it. Honestly, I think I, I, I think I might pick the GT if I had to. See, I think I'd pick the wagon, and it's it it's funny, John. That I feel like you and I are back in the same corner again. It's funny you mentioned the CTSV wagon because there's a part of me, and I couldn't afford a CTSV wagon even used, or not the not the fun supercharged ones anyway. But uh, I really tried to get a CTSV sedan only because I really have no need for a wagon uh, bef- before I got the 335, and it was just unaffordable. But I. There's a part of me that will always kind of wish that I could have a, a CTSV wagon. And I actually was exchanging tweets with somebody earlier today, and I don't have their name in front of me, but they had a legacy, a Subaru legacy wagon. And a part of me will always wonder, man, how fun would it be to have like a CTSV wagon or a legacy GT wagon, something, a wagon that's fast? You know, how fun would it be to smoke something that you have no business being quicker than in a wagon while you're hauling crap. Well, and they made an M5 wagon in the last generation, but uh, somebody at BMW said recently they only sold like a few hundred of them. Total. And that's what I'm saying. They made it for years. <laughs> well, unlike the Mercedes, I want to say it's a C63. I think that's right. You know, they they sold a few hundred of those in in the states. And actually, a, a friend of mine, his wife drives one. And I've not been in it. I've not seen it. But just being in an absurdly fast wagon, I think that'd be fun. But to your point, John, it's like we've run out of shapes and we've 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 overdosed on wagons. We don't like those. And I just I don't get it. I wish I wish it was more socially acceptable. If if to to have a wagon. And the same thing with diesels. You know, Americans are obsessed with hybrids and oh, hybrid this, hybrid that, and that's starting to fall away now. But to my mind, I'd much rather have a diesel than a hybrid. I don't get the hybrid thing at all. Yeah, me too, actually. The hybrids, 
hybrids are, are a good idea for a lot of reasons, but in practice, a lot of times the mileage isn't as much as you would think. Diesels, on the other hand, are way simpler. Uh, environmentally, they're pro- I don't know offhand, you know, because hybrids have the problem of battery creation and battery disposal, both of which are really inconvenient truths <laughs> for environmental people. Uh, they're, having to dispose of all those batteries is really not pretty. Um, so if you look at like total carbon footprint of, of having a hybrid versus having just a really efficient gas or diesel engine, um, the hybrid... They still come out ahead, I think, because you have to factor in the carbon footprint of uh, mining for... Get, not mining, but drilling for the uh, fossil fuels that are going to power your gas right. car. Right, but it, it turns out to be not as big of an advantage as people think. I, 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 think, I, think, the, I think that's the outcome. But anyway, um, please email Casey with that information. Um, oh, thanks. But, you know, yeah, diesels or, or even just very efficient gas engines... Uh, I think for if you, if you're trying to be really environmentally conscious and and especially total carbon footprint wise, if you have to have a car at all, um, I, I mean, are, are diesels much worse for emissions, or have we fixed they, all that? They were historically, but the the standards have gone up such that I think the, the emissions are uh, very close. I, I forget who who's leading on diesel emissions. Case it was it was Europe that went to like the super clean diesels first, or is it America? Oh, it I couldn't have been America. us. There's no way it was us. Yeah, I don't think it was us. And didn't didn't like Mercedes and and Volkswagen start doing something with like P? Yeah, the had? urea thing. The yeah, blue, yeah, yeah. The Mercedes Blue Tech thing. The, yeah, the, the, yeah. The diesel no standards are that. way higher. Like when we were kids, diesels were like they smelled and looked. Uh, they looked and smelled like and sounded like trucks. Now today, with modern diesels, you know, a regular person can't even tell that it's a diesel except this little D somewhere on the badge, right? Oh yeah, and you can't. And this gas thing doesn't fit. Yeah, that's the other way you can tell. Do I have time to tell my uh, Tesla Model S story? Yeah. Oh God, I almost forgot about that. Yes, please do. Speaking speaking of hybrids and uh, BMW wagon, so uh, I got a chance this week to ride in, but not actually drive a Tesla Model S because a friend of mine was test driving it and actually buying one, I believe. Uh, so you know, me having not driven it. Uh, Certainly not going to stop me from reviewing it. Certainly not. Uh, of course. So not. we have a Tesla store in the mall. I don't know if you guys have these, but in our yep, local mall, that's where I saw mine. You go in there, and there's the store. And I'd been in the store before and seen the little disassembled car and, and filled around with the regular one. That's the only car they had in our store. They just have the disassembled Model S and a put together Model S. Uh, and then, like the one you test drive is not. You don't drive it out of the mall. They have it out in the parking lot or whatever. Uh, and so th- this is a. a a pretty interesting car. We talked about the interior last time, about the, the touchscreen and everything. And even though I had seen it before, I hadn't like you know spent serious time with it. But now, like on the test drive, what they do is they take you through and like it's like a guided tour of the car, tell you how everything works on it, go you know go through all that stuff, and then you get to drive around a little bit. Uh, and it, since I couldn't actually drive it, I was paying mostly attention to the way all the stuff works uh, and how they're trying to justify the price of this car. I think like it goes from like 50 grand for the one that only goes like 150 miles all the way up to like 90 grand for the for the uh, Model S performance that uh has the bigger battery, 300 mile range and all this other stuff. So that's it's quite a range for a car. If you're spending $90,000 for a car, you have certain expectations of of like everything about the car. The the buying experience, the the sort of dealership experience, the way the interior looks and feels, the amenities and stuff like that. And I was trying to decide like is this a $90,000 car? Is this a $90,000 car experience? And you can see Tesla is trying. Like, you know, so they have the person to give you the test drive and it's clear that the person, uh, I, 
first of all, the person I had to give me the test drive, my impression was that she did not live in our state even, but she was just traveling like with the dealership or going around to like, she was a professional Tesla sales, salesperson, test drive, you know, whatever. Like it wasn't just some local person they hired, you know, it was very polished presentation. Uh, the, the little thing that you used to get into the car is shaped like a tiny model S like a little matchbox car, uh, with no buttons or anything. Yeah, on it, just shaped up, like right? that. Yeah, and you press on you press on like the front of the car to open up the front thing, the back of the car, open up the back and the middle. Like so, that's all very you know you know how high end car things like to do weird stuff with their keys. This is the weird thing they do with this thing. They shape it like a little car. Uh, proximity door handle things. The door handles slide out of the car. Again, if you're buying a luxury car, we talked about this last week. You want to feel like you're buying a futuristic car. Ooh, door handle slide out. I could have seen that in a, in a sci fi movie in the eighties, and it's about as good idea now as it was then. Uh, but. <laughs> uh, when you open the door, it's, you know, touch sensitive. Like I think Ferrari has doors like this where you don't actually pull a handle. You just touch your hand to it and then it, it unlocks the door automatically for you. There's no yanking because yanking is unseemly, right? Uh, so all that they're doing pretty well. I- interior of the car, they use Mercedes switch gear supposedly. Uh, and I guess if you're, I don't, I haven't been in a Mercedes in a long time, but they have the, the two stalks on the left. Does anyone know? I don't know. One of the idiosyncrasies I think they have is they do two stalks on the left. We'll get email if I'm wrong about this. But anyway, this thing has two stalks on the left, one on the right. Uh, the gear shift, it's a column column shift, gear shift, which I hadn't seen in forever. You know, but of course, there's no there's no gears to speak of. Right? It's like park, you know, reverse and, and drive. And, and so like, isn't like with, the whole, the gear shift the whole area where we, we usually have gear shifts now, isn't that all empty in the Model S? Yeah, so like you've got the big the touchscreen thing, the big you know it's, it's it's actually bigger than I thought it would be the big touchscreen thing, and the software on there is not they have nothing to be ashamed of. It is not embarrassing. It's not as responsive as an iPad. It's not as responsive as it should be. And as we talked about in the last show, like knobs, they need knobs. They just need them. But like this is their vision statement: no knobs, no buttons, and you know you have you have controls on the steering wheel to do stuff, and uh, controls on the steering wheel that can also control the touchscreen. But the bottom line is, I would rather have knobs. But you know, this is their vision statement. This is the big screen. You can do a lot of things from it. You know, it's I, I give them a pass on the first generation thing here. Seats and everything and interior. I think the interior looks like a $50,000 car, not like a $90,000 car in terms of materials. Uh, not fit and finish because the fit and finish seemed fine. But in terms of materials, it didn't look like the inside of Marco's M5 was going to look like. And this is a comparably priced car, right? It just, it just did not. It wasn't up to that level of like you know, tiny jeweled chrome things. And even though you can pick different things, you can pick fake wood on the interior, you can pick piano finish, you can pick real graphite, you know, all sorts of things. It just didn't look quite that fancy. And part of it is the fact that to your right is just, you you go goes flat to the floor. Like there's nothing there. There's no, there's no tunnel. There's no, no gear shift lever. There's like little, little ridges. So actually I think this is, people would love this in practice because that's where, you know, uh, my wife driving wants to put her purse somewhere. The purse would go perfectly there. You could put the biggest purse you could possibly imagine. It would fit perfectly there, flat on the floor, right between the seats. But there's nothing else there except for a little plastic ridge thing. And, you know, a little leather thing with the armrests and, and cup holders and stuff. But just the interior was not quite up to uh, $90,000 levels. But but again, this is a car. This single car ranges from about fifty to ninety. So I guess it's got to, uh, uh, you know, span the range there. Uh, 
headroom. I couldn't buy one of these because it, you know, I, my head hits, the head hits the headliner. Casey would probably have the same problem. This is in the front seat, but the seat all the way really? down. That, I'm surprised. It's, just, it's a pretty roomy car for the most part. I'm kind of surprised to hear that. It's not, well, it's not, it's roomy for for short people, but <laughs> but yeah, it, this is a problem with a lot of luxury cars uh, and uh, all the cars that I buy. I can't buy them with a sunroof because my head will hit the headliner. Not like hit hit, but just enough so that your hair is rubbing. That's super annoying, right? I don't want. I have no idea what that's to like. Be hitting here. Yeah, it's <laughs> it, it, on many fronts. And uh, so that it's it's a little bit tight. You can get it with and without the sunroof. And I looked at both of them and I couldn't tell because I wasn't in the front seat of the one without. But uh, the back seat for sure on the one without the sunroof is worse because on the back seat of the one with the sunroof, they have a little a scoop out area where there's glass or whatever. The back seat for looks basically and for, according to my friend, a drag coefficient. But I don't know if I completely buy that because I feel like give me an extra two inches of headroom and uh, your drag coefficient wouldn't go down too much. Uh it's really tight in the back because, it, you know, it looks really nice on the outside and the, the sacrifice for that nice lookingness is in the back. You really don't want adults, six foot or taller adults sitting in the back seat like that. Legroom also is not as roomy as you would you would think in there. Um, so passenging in the car, uh, it was a pretty long test drive. We got to try out, you know, everything you expect, expect to try out, highways, exit ramps, entrance ramps, you know, uh, stop and go traffic, all that stuff. Uh the performance on this car is it's it's quite an anomaly because uh, the the Tesla Model S performance is zero to sixteen four point four seconds, which is a respectable number for a ninety thousand dollar car. Like it's not it's not a supercar, but it's it's pretty darn good, you know, right? I mean, what Marco's M three is like three six or something like that, or M five rather three six or something. No, actually, and, I I believe cause they made a bunch of waves in in the YouTube scene a few uh, months ago. I believe the the Tesla Model S beats the M five in a drag race. Uh, the M5 only beats it if you have to turn. Well, this is well, maybe once it goes over sixty, things start happening. But the, the thing is that the zero to sixty time is time is really good. But the top speed is one hundred and thirty. Now, maybe you guys can remember. Have you ever remember a car that went zero to sixty in four point four seconds, but had one hundred and thirty mile an hour top? So those, those are specs from two different eras. Because back when cars went uh, were, had topped out at one hundred and thirty, they took six seconds to sixty. Right? Like in any car, any modern car that goes. To sixty in in less than five seconds does not top out at one thirty. So I'm 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 curious as to why they top out. Like I don't think it's the tires. I think maybe that's like since there is no gearing, maybe that's how fast you know it's an RPM limit on the electric motors. Or you something. Could, maybe it's like a heat issue if you go uh, if you like sustain a speed much faster than that for very long. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is, but but anyway, so we we got to you know do some performance runs, and it is it's weird because. During a, a perform, you know, an acceleration run like that, m- my brain was inserting the downshift noises or the upshift noises, rather. Like, and there were no such noises because there is no gear changing. Like, it's not happening. But and and the you know you feel the surge of acceleration. There's no pauses in it. There's no hitches or anything. Why would there be? It's just a motor connected to a wheel, and you just make it go fast. Uh, uh, they had the test car governed at 85 miles an hour which we immediately found out, and they said it's because people were going a little bit too fast. And 85 miles an hour revives really quickly, especially when there's no noise and no, like, you know, herking or jerking. You just press the bell, and you're like, oh, oh, 85, there it is. Stop, you know. (laughs) Very strange experience. Stranger, I think, than the experience of, like, you know, if anyone's ever been in a hybrid where you're like, there's no noise, you know, you just, like, you just roll out of your parking spot. Well, that's because there's no power in a hybrid. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, but there's nothing. There's nothing. There's no engine noise. There's like you can hear your pebble, your, your tires just rolling over the pebbles. It's like it's like your you know the car is free falling, right? But yeah, very strange experience. And the other strange thing that I've read about in, in many reviews and experiencing it was definitely odd. Was that this car? 
corners and breaks like like it's an Enzo. Like the body, there is no squat during heavy braking. Going around an entrance ramp, the car does not tilt to the side. Like it's just dead flat, unbelievably flat because it's got a humongous, like the battery, if you've seen it in the store, the battery is, is the entire like floor plan, uh, uh, floor pan of the car. So huge amount of weight is very low in this car. It does not <laughs> like a boxer rock engine. From, from, from side to side. Yes, it's, it is, it is a boxer engine times 20, uh, <laughs> incredibly flat through through uh, every maneuver this thing was actually wearing pirelli snow tires so it was not we, we did not reach the performance limits of this car going on entrance and exit ramps uh in those kinds of tires uh but very very flat and th- that was it made it made it feel like you were riding like one of those uh monorails at disneyland like right. the, the acceleration and the deceleration and the fact that it did not tilt it was fascinating uh and, and i have to say the uh, like the dashboard like the the gauge cluster where you look at the uh, you know they have they have the LCD screen the big one in the center console but then in the gauge cluster is also a screen and I I think they pull it off pretty well the screen quality could be a little bit better like I th- I think like a a red MacBook Pro screen is better than the screen that's in this thing but you know what can you do uh, but like when you if you type in or speak your destination it does a Google map search on the big screen and then once you found your destination it switches over that map appears to the left of your like tax speedo thing. Uh, and that's actually Garmin software over there. It's weird that they have two different vendors for it. But so you, then you see the little Garmin, like 3D, you're going down the road and navigating type of thing to the left of your tack instead of having to glance over to the center console to see it. Uh, it's a, they do a pretty good job with the software integration. Uh, and it's fascinating talking to the person about all the software tweaks that they've been doing. Like the government, the, you know, the speed governor is one thing, but they, they're constantly sending software updates to tweak how the car works. Uh, the other strange thing about electric cars, totally electric cars, is like, you don't have to brake almost at all if you drive the thing the correct way because when you take off the gas pedal, it's like you're applying the brakes in a regular car because the regenerative brake, like you can basically just drive with the gas pedal, press down to go, pick up slightly to slow down, you know, which is really weird. Like, you you know, we thought the driver of the car was braking, but he was not braking. He was merely lifting up on the gas and that slow, you know, the regenerative braking slowed the car down. Uh, and that's the type of thing they can totally tweak with software. How much do you want to do that? Do you want regenerative braking on heavy, light, non-existent? Uh, all these different things you can do with software to uh, to make the car behave entirely differently because so much of it is electronically controlled. Uh, and and this is a, you know, and the brakes are not like wimpy brakes either. They're gigantic disc brakes, uh, and I'm assuming they're gigantic disc brakes because the car weighs 4,600 pounds, and you know, regenerative braking can only do so much, but. Uh, in practice, you can actually just drive this car with the gas pedal, which is like, you know, forget about losing your clutch pedal. Now you're practically losing the brake pedal. And now it's like a one button, <laughs> push button appliance type car. Uh, so uh, overall, I was very impressed with this car. If you told me this car cost $50,000, I said, this is amazing. This is a $50,000 car that anybody who does not need to travel more than 150 miles should <laughs> should look at. <laughs> at 90000 I have to say that I this would not be my choice even though it's a very interesting experience very 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 smooth ride reasonably quiet in terms of you know noise isolation and everything like that but you know holding it up against a marco's m5 i would say it, it, it doesn't compete at that level but it has many characteristics that the you know the m5 can't can't touch in terms of just plain weirdness and futuristicness of of uh driving around on this thing well, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to compete at that level. Like, you know, like when the Prius, I don't know what the Prius pricing is now, but when the Prius first came out, it was way more expensive than, than its segment of, you know, interior quality and stuff like that. 
Um, but it didn't matter. People bought it anyway because they wanted they wanted that hype or they wanted those features. Same thing with this. Like people are going to pay a premium for this. They're going to be willing to pay ninety grand um, for a for a fifty grand interior because it's such a cool, different, futuristic car. Yeah, and, and it does like the feelings that you get. It doesn't feel like driving a regular car. Now, whether, you know whether you like it or not. It feels it feels different because of the weird electric motor acceleration. And you know the the Prius had that too, but like the Prius has no acceleration to speak of. This is actually a very quick, powerful car, but in a in a very strange way. Uh, I was also we were looking at the exterior of the car, and it the the whole thing like you know you, you've got the. The trunk in the back, which is huge, it's gigantic. Like it's, you should see how many cubic feet are in this this GT trunk. I think this thing is bigger. Was it's kind of like a pseudo hatchback type thing? Yeah, it's a Gi- very giant trunk, very giant trunk. And then in the front, another trunk because because <laughs> why not? Like you know, it's not it's not like oh well the the engine in this car is you know so there's two, there's two trunks and the trunk in the front is reasonably sized as well. Uh, and and you look at the car and it's almost like a fake car because you're like. Where is the where is the stuff? Like <laughs> if you if you open it, it looks like an Apple car, but so when you open up the hood of it, uh, there's the pl- there's the trunk, and then there's one blue little place where you put the wiper fluid. Like that's like the <laughs> that's like the only thing in you know, and it's just plastic everywhere else. And it's like it's like it's like a fake model. It's like well, here's normally where the engine would be, but we just coated it with plastic, and like that's it. That's all there is. And there's two little rubber nubbins for the thing to uh you know for the hood to rest down on. It, you, you get confused about where the car is in this car because it's not on the inside. You look in the inside, there's nothing in there. There's no tunnels or whatever. You look in the trunk, nothing in there. You look in the front of the car, there's nothing in there. Uh, it, it shows the the amazing packaging flexibility you have when like the car is not. <laughs> there is no car to speak of except for it's like it's like it's a bunch of suspension, tires, brakes, shocks, and steering mechanism. That's the whole car. Uh, the one odd thing that I found, and I have to you know find something to complain about. All things is when we right before we left, I was looking at it and I was like, you know. How do you lift the windshield wipers up? You know how windshield wipers can come away from the car so like you could scrape ice off it or yeah. whatever. You you pick the windshield wipers up. These ones can't do that because they have hinges there. Like it's clear that they could do that, but the hood of the car blocks them. And we asked the people that were there, like, oh, maybe maybe it happens when the hood is up. Nope, with the hood up, you still can't get up. Oh, maybe you can stop the wipers and uh, when they're vertical and then they can fold down. Nope, can't stop them when they're vertical. Seems like they'll have to provide some sort of software mode or some sort of maintenance thing where it's like, I need to change my wiper blades now. <laughs> wiper please, put the wipers in, please put the wipers in the upright position and stop them. Uh, so I don't know if that's like a first generation bug or maybe the person at the dealership just didn't know how to stop them in that position. Well, these are obviously uh, all being sold in California. Yeah, well, you're going to have to change the wiper blades eventually, right? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, so no, you're overall, throw it away like, and get it, the next electric car. It had fewer, like, Gen 1... I, I'm looking at this like you look at, like, a new MacBook Pro. It had fewer Gen 1 bugs than I thought it would, uh, but it's still kind of clearly a Gen 1 car. But I can understand why someone who's into... Who, who wants to try something new, who wants to have something cool and futuristic, you would not be sacrificing anything to get this car except for, you know, except for range if you wanted to do a 600-mile trip and you have to, like, strategically plan it to go through these, you know, places with superchargers. But you would not be sacrificing anything in your if you use this as your daily car it's it, you know it's, it's nice enough it's luxurious enough it's roomy enough and it's interesting enough to make up for all the places where it's not as good as an audi or bmw or mercedes for a similar amount of money uh so i can be more impressed after driving it than just looking at it in the mall but i still would not buy one well, what's interesting is i'm looking at the tesla website and one of the things they mention is a battery replacement option will be available for purchase soon 
The option allows you to pre-purchase a new battery to be installed after eight years for a fixed price. $8,000 for 40 kilowatt hour batteries, $10,000 for 60 kilowatt hour batteries, and $12,000 for 85 kilowatt hour batteries. That's insane. Now, I granted, think that's, we are I talking think that's about not it. insane, though, because... It's actually fairly... Like, like for for what they're doing, that's actually not a terrible price. Like they're, I don't think they're gouging people with that price. Uh, no, the, re- not. the reason I think this is reasonable and it's the reason I don't like hybrids is because I know, like we all know from using laptops and stuff, like those batteries are going to go bad. I mean, people, yeah, maybe people have them at a visceral level. Like they're just they're just going to go, and you're like, oh well, it's never worth it to replace it. But in this car, the rest of the car is a reasonably good high qu- yeah i mean th- th- what else is there to the car besides the like the, the electric motors i think they're going to be fine after eight years right because you know we're good at making industrial electric motors they should be fine it's the suspension components all look good the shock absorbers the steering linkage there's not much else in there there's like a compressor for the air conditioner like a, a pump for the hydraulics for the brakes so I'm saying what I'm saying is in eight years, it's not like you need to throw this car away. In eight years, putting another twelve grand into into a car that you really love that gets you a brand like basically a brand new car again. I mean, you know, there's no other parts to wear out. You just need you know, the brake pads are probably going to last forever because of regenerative braking that you barely need to use. Yeah, you got to get new tires because of tread wear. But if you really love your Tesla Model S, and I can imagine someone really loving the Tesla Model S. After eight years, you don't want to throw it away. You're like, all right, fine. Here's another twelve grand. I bought a ninety thousand dollar car. Here's another twelve grand. Give me my Tesla Model S that I love back again. Right. And and well, having t- that option also makes the used market a lot more viable uh, because like it's pretty unwise to buy an old hybrid most of the time because the batteries have you know they don't last forever and, and they don't even last that long. <laughs> like you know most you know the Toyota Prius uh, was basically a Toyota Echo with hybrid stuff added to it. Um, a Toyota Echo would last way longer than a Prius in, in most in most usage because the Echo doesn't have batteries to wear out. Um, you know, the Tesla, you know, generally speaking, I, if I were buying a hybrid, I would not buy one that was more than five years old uh, because, of the, because of that battery issue. But this, if, if I knew that this was an option, it's a pretty expensive option, but it's also a pretty expensive car. I mean, you know, if, if I was going to buy one of these used in a couple of years, get like a three-year-old model for like 40 grand, that's not... You know, like one one of the ninety thousand ones, <laughs> get like a three year old model for like forty grand. That's actually not that scary of a concept anymore, knowing that those things are replaceable. Yeah, and to argue with myself for a minute, I remember vividly seeing the the cost of an E thirty nine M five, which by the way was probably my favorite BMW ever. To seeing the cost of an E thirty nine M five motor, and it was absurd. It was like fifteen or twenty thousand dollars. And so, to to both of your points thinking about it a little more and to argue with myself is 12 grand really that bad for what is effectively amounted to a brand new motor yes i know it's not literally the motor but this is the, the it's part the, it's the only it's the part that you expect to wear right after years. right so right. few other parts like aside from just tires i think like i think you could go eighty thousand miles on one set of brake pads i mean my sister went seventy thousand miles on her integra one set first set of integra brake pads and that car does not have regenerative braking you know, so I, I, you know, this, I think these will have, because there's so few things, it's kind of like the, you know, the, the Apple design of like, you know, just remove everything, get rid of everything. Right. Why do you need any of this? And there's nothing, there's nothing left except for, and hopefully they make the stuff that is there good. Do they make, hopefully they do the door seals well and, and the, uh, you know, the motors for the, the windows and stuff. Uh, one funny thing on the, the central display is like at the top of it, it's got like a status bar. I think it's got the time or something on there and it has the little horizontal, you know, double, double a, uh, 
battery symbol with like a, like a bar chart in the middle of it, like a green little line filling up, right? Just like you'd see on the top of an iPad telling you how much energy you have <laughs> back in your iPad. But it's not the battery meter for the for the like that little iPad in your dashboard. It's the battery meter for the car, but it's the same size as this the battery meter for, you know, for your iPad. And I was looking at I'm like, let's look at this 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 Tesla battery. You know, another friend who I was with said, "What if you just park the car and just use the little tablet interface? How long would it last running, running off of the battery that's there?" <laughs> I did some math before the show. Uh it would power uh so the iPad has a 25 watt hour battery that lasts about 10 hours. So if you just ran an iPad off of the Tesla battery that you're sitting on top of in a stationary car, it would last for 34,000 hours or about 3.9 <laughs> years. Well, that's convenient. Assuming the so, batteries you know, don't self-discharge yeah. faster than so that. They, they do have two charging USB sockets and plus a 12-volt socket there. So if you need to recharge your iPad, look for something with a Tesla because they've got all the juice you need. Yeah, I guess like I'd be wor- if if I didn't know about how different that size was, I'd be worried about like you know, am I draining the car's battery too much <laughs> yeah, by no. plugging in so my in iPad? Four, in four years, you will have drained it. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> wow. I do want to mention, I know we're running long, but who cares? Um, I do want to mention uh, this article I found in um, Auto Week last month. I pasted the link. I'll put it in the show notes if we have show notes. And um, <laughs> it's about how uh, there, there's apparently this, this proposal um, by the National, you know, the <laughs> National Nitsa, Highway. Nitsa, whatever. Nitsa. Something like that. And uh, like that. yeah, the asthma society, who knows? And uh, it says automakers uh, would, would need to make hybrids and electric vehicles emit artificial sounds. Like your M5. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's why I brought it up um, under these rules. Because the problem is that uh, electric vehicles are so quiet. You, know, you pretty much only hear tire noise, and that's pretty quiet. Most of so the electric vehicles are so quiet that they're posing additional risks to pedestrians <laughs> who don't realize a car is coming. And yeah, we asked about that. We asked the Tesla person about that in the <laughs> test drive. Uh, and uh, what she said, which just sounded like a rehearsed answer, I guess uh, all of her answers were rehearsed because she was very professional, was that uh, Tesla asked their prospective buyers how they felt about uh, this issue. And uh, the, the prospective buyers overwhelmingly said that they like the idea of the car being quiet and do not want, uh, doesn't want Tesla to add any artificial noise <laughs> to the car. Obviously, I if the government this. mandates, they're going to, but. Tesla is trying to satisfy the people, you know, for people who are interested in, in fifty to ninety thousand dollars electric cars, do they do they want us to add some sort of sound to it for safety? And the answer was no, and, which makes sense to me. I was like, yeah, because the, the, these people just want to. I don't care about pedestrians. I'll plow them down. They won't hurt the car, right? Well, and I should I should point out too, <laughs> like you know, like the M5's artificial sound. When I was doing those test drives, um, the engines do sound different between the M5 with its artificial speaker thing and the 550 without it, but not that different. And it was it was a good halfway into the test drive before I even remembered that it had that sound feature before I even thought to pay attention to it. Like it was I, I hardly even noticed it until I remembered that it existed. And then I tried paying attention to it and I couldn't notice it at all. So that's a little different. Whereas with this, like this, to meet the requirements, automakers would need to add speakers that are audible from the street. <laughs> These speakers would need, to, would need a processor so they would play the chosen sound, often a humming noise, similar to that of a gasoline-burning engine, only at low speeds. <laughs> so I think like it, it would be way weird. You know, the M5's fake sound is, is very much not noticeable for the most part. Um, with this, though, you're taking a vehicle that is silent, and having to generate like a noticeable sound from it, that would be... Yeah, I, I can't would, imagine that not just sounding really cheesy. I, 
think it would be sacrilegious because I've, I've driven in a couple of Priuses and they make much more whiny electric noise. Like I know that like the Prius is quiet and it doesn't sound like an engine, but when you're inside the Prius and outside the Prius, it's whiny and noisy. And this thing, this Tesla, when you were inside it was really, really, really quiet, incredibly quiet. Maybe it's just because better noise insulation, maybe because the, the, the motors are, are higher quality and it would just be such a shame to spoil that, that beautiful, quiet experience by having some sort of loser buzzer going off when you're tooling around the parking lot. <laughs> so that's why I wow. feel like this. I feel like we win either way. You know, either they don't put this rule into effect, and we get hybrid cars and or and we get electric cars that are that are tasteful, or they put this rule into effect and we get to laugh at everybody for a few years until they finally figure out that they don't need it anymore. Well, what would really kill it is like everyone's next round of supercars has some sort of electric component. Like the, the Enzo replacement has has right. an electric uh, component to it. The NSX is going to have you know hybrid powertrain. Imagine if those cars, like your million dollar Enzo replacement, <laughs> has to make a little buzzing noise when you're pulling out of the parking lot. That would that's just that's just beyond that's the pale. Terrible. You can't like I mean, fine if you want to make a Prius make a noise, but please don't don't make my supercar make a noise when I back it up. Have you seen the Wienermobile? I have. Yes. I, somehow, I've seen the Wienermobile like three times in the last year. I, I guess maybe one of them like parks nearby or something. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's funny because you guys don't have Kroger's up where you are, do you? They're grocery stores. No, they have in Ohio. It's a so- southern thing. What'd you say, John? That's a southern thing. I remember yeah, that. it is. And, well, and it's, Ohio it's Ohio. Thing. Yeah, it's Ohio Ohio's originally, the south. It kind oh, of is, oh, honestly. Oh. I mean, it's like it has, it has all the same things as the south. It's just over there. It's just over there. Really? It's off to the left. Holy shit. Well, I bring it up because there was a Wienermobile parked in front of a, one of the 74 local Kroger's uh, last <laughs> summer, I want to say. And I'm an idiot because I didn't go in when we were walking into Kroger. I figured, oh, I'll just run in on the way out, and then it disappeared. But you can go into the Wienermobile? I think so. I don't think... I, it's just like a truck, right? I mean, it's... Yeah, with like uh, Trans like Am. Yeah, and it's got like Trans Am taillights. It's it's a Frankenstein mobile. We should we should maybe I, I see for for something that it's too long to bring up now. Tiff and I want to at some point um not only be in a Wiener mobile, but actually we want to drive one. And I and I wonder like what what is involved in making that happen. You know? You have to be a college student, I think. Well, like the people who drive them, they you know, they're like, they're like promotional things. It's like those Red Bull vans, like they like it's just a it's a job somebody drives us all over the place to to do like promotional events or just maybe i don't know maybe like i wonder maybe the people who drive it aren't actually oscar meyer employees they're just people who oscar meyer pays to drive the wienermobile around different places like what if they're just like you know plumbers or something they happen to be driving around a lot anyway i don't know what do you think you're going to get out of this driving the wienermobile experience well, we'd be able to say we drove the Wienermobile, and we and we would That's know something. we would have the satisfaction of having driven the Wienermobile. It's just a truck, you know. I know. It, it, I mean, from I'm sure it would be a very boring drive, but we would just know that we had driven the Wienermobile, and that would be very if satisfying. If you could crash part of the Wienermobile into some other structure, that would be something. Like poke the little wiener through the, the window of the <laughs> grocery store. Because wow. yeah, the back one goes out pretty far. Yeah, you could take some of that like you know make make a sharp turn in the parking lot and knock over one of the lights. Yeah, maybe like maybe cr- you know crash into a Starbucks window. That would be fun. Hey guys, guys, guess what? Real time follow up. 
the hot dog position. <laughs> I know, I know. This is awesome. The hot dogger position of driving the Wienermobile is open to U.S. citizens, and the job lasts from the 1st of June until the following 1st of June. Only college seniors who are about to graduate are eligible. Both current hot doggers and Oscar Mayer recruiters visit the college campuses across the country in search of the next round of hot doggers. Candidates are screened from an average of 2,000 applicants. Every March, a pool of 30 final round candidates are brought to Kraft Foods and Oscar Mayer headquarters in Madison, Wisconsin for interviews. Each vehicle can hold two hot doggers and 12 people are chosen. Wait a minute. So, like I said, it's a college. So, what thing. is the job then? Like, do you just. You sell hot dogs out of it, don't you? you? I don't know. I don't think you just sell hot dogs. You just drive around and, and you're a. And make people happy. So, you're, so right. you're a no, college seriously. kid and you just get to have that like as your car for a year. So you just like park it on campus somewhere with that giant. No, hot- no, no, no. I think the point and that's just is asking you for pranks. Around. Right, you travel around for a year, going to Kroger's and sitting. Oh, that, that's that why you're a, you have to be a senior because you have to be about right. to not have to do anything for a year, assuming that you right. don't have any job prospects. This is your job. By the way, and, and if you're driving the Wienermobile, you probably don't, honestly. And then what do you do? What do you do after <laughs> that's that? True. <laughs> you know, like, that where do you, you put it on your resume? Right. You show up. You show up trying to get a job afterwards. So how have you spent the last year? <laughs> If, if you want to drive any other kind of novelty food-shaped vehicle, it's a, real, it's a real foot in the door in the, in the industry. 